Okay, good afternoon everybody. Um, I'm hoping that as part of this talk you might actually uh, interact with me a little bit because I'm going to ask you some questions as we go along um, to see whether or not you, uh, you agree with what I'm suggesting to you um, and to make the point that, um, that there might be more to this than we, we imagine and that there's more to see than we imagine. Well, let's, let's get started. Um, how do we believe anything? What's the basis on which we actually put belief at all in anything whatsoever? And I suggest there are, there are three ways of actually finding uh, information. First of all, um, we see things. We observe and we take on board what we have seen. Sometimes we don't see completely. Um, most of us were talking this morning about um, not having quite the right set of eyes on and, um, and, and not seeing as clearly as we might. But by and large, we gather evidence at least from that source. But we, we also hear things. Um, we'll talk about things um, and other people communicate to us about information they've picked up. We might choose to go and check it, but we, we will hear from them. Um, and we'll also read things um, quietly. Um, if, if you're doing a college course and if you're trying to actually get on top of your subject, there'd be quite a lot of reading to do. Um, in fact, probably reading comes ahead of hearing and seeing in, in that context. So we can actually gain information from any of these three sources. Um, so when we come to think about our particular topic, um, what about this question? Do you believe in extraterrestrial visitors? Um, do they come? Do you see any? Um, have you ever come across any? Have you, have you actually associated yourself with any of them? I don't think so. No? N none of you, you had any connection with extraterrestrial visitors? Mm -hmm. Alright, okay, I have, I think, but I don't know. Because angels are extraterrestrial visitors, and we don't know whether we've met them or not. But do we believe they're there? Um, well, we perhaps do and perhaps we don't. But the point is that we actually would, <laughs> if we were children, I'm sure, say yes to this question. Um, we would actually be very, very um, acquainted with such things. And um, we would say, well, how? And, 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 and one of those three things above would have actually influenced that conclusion. Um, what we're going to think about, though, are footprints. And to work out the footprints that things leave behind that we can actually pursue. Whose footprints are these? It was interesting looking at Rachel's book from, uh, I think it was from Col earlier in the week, um, earlier in the year. And um, she's got a footprint in there that looks a bit like this. Whose footprints are these? Otter we know. An otter we know. <laughs> Yes, an otter. Um, but how many of you have seen an otter? <coughs> Not all of you. But the rest of you, do you think they exist? You do because of the footprints, don't you? Um, have you seen him? Nay, yes, some. No, some. But he exists and you don't doubt for one moment that because he exists, because his footprints are there, that he's actually uh, something that exists. What about these footprints? Not the boot on the right, the, the other two. What are they? 
No. A yeti. A <laughs> yeti. <laughs> okay, a yeti. Um, not too far away, actually. <laughs> Sorry, what was the answer there? No. no, this is a snow leopard. Now, how many of you have seen a snow leopard? No, not in the flesh, none of you. But does he exist? Do you believe he exists? Why do you believe he exists? Because you've seen pictures, principally. Somebody else has taken pictures, or there are footprints left behind. So there's, there's an evidence that's there that convinces you that this particular creature is alive and not too numerous, but he, he is alive and he lives in a particular part of the world because of the tracks he's left behind and because of the evidence of some very persistent people who've gone and found him. We believe then because of the footprints that things leave behind. So what are the footprints for God? What are his footprints and are there any at all? Is, is there anything that we can actually track that gives us evidence that God is there and that he's all around us well in the Bible we read these words in Acts 14 he did not leave himself without witness he did good he gave us rain from heaven fruitful seasons and filled our hearts with gladness and that's given us the first bit of evidence hasn't it it said there there is a sequence of things happening in our world which we call the seasons and they come and they go and they rotate and not one of you would doubt that should things continue long enough there will be a spring next year and it will come round and it will turn into summer and so on and so forth and we would be surprised if it didn't happen because of experience and because of things in the past whether we accept that that is from God is, is a different question I'm suggesting to you that this is the first little bit of evidence. And the Bible tells us, God said, I've left you this to think about. I've left you this to consider. It's part of my witness. The heavens, he says, are the same. In, in the Psalms, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, moon, stars, that you have ordained. O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And the psalmist was in no doubt whatsoever that the heavens came from God and were evidence of him. And there was no real doubt whatsoever. It's only in our time, in our age, that people have challenged that and said, no, 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 this didn't happen from God at all. But we are still mystified, are we not? Even as a race of people, of top scientists, we're still mystified by much of what happens there in the sky. And the further out we go, the more puzzle and the more question we find exists. Can we read our first reading, please? So our first reading is from Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and the first six verses. O 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So that psalm tells us that you cannot escape from the effect of the heavens wherever you are upon the surface of the earth. doesn't matter which country you're in, which part of the world you live in, you will observe from time to time the passing of the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens will circle over your head whatever you are doing. And the psalmist says, well, that's, that's from God as well. And, and we'll come back and think about that a little bit more um, when, when we get into the next section. That psalm also went on to tell you that if you've got that far, if you've accepted that God is actually doing that, then he's written things for you as well. There's words that he can follow. But really, I consider that's step two to our subject. And we're trying to convince in this talk that God exists, God is there, although you can't see him. So, let's have a look at this world of ours and think about it and, and notice the, the just-so idea will come into play here quite a bit. It's just the right distance from the sun. We've read in there about we all get warmed by it. Um, this past year we've been warmed by it a lot more than we perhaps expected to. But we're all warmed by it, and it doesn't matter where you are on the surface of the world, it will warm you in one way or another. But it won't do it too hard, too hardly, and, and, and you won't be fried, um, and you won't be left cold. Um, exploration and information coming back from planets further away from the sun or nearer to the sun indicate that hot and cold are quite a big issue for th that kind of planet. But not ours. Ours is just right. And it rotates. Um, the psalmist has just told us that. It goes round and round, so that every bit gets the benefit of the sun from day to day. And it's the right size. We, as a species, and all living creatures, really depend on oxygen. But the gravity of our world keeps the oxygen here. But there's another gas, hydrogen, which is not so attractive to us. That's a lighter gas, and it escapes to some degree, because... Gravity can't retain it. That's just right. The moon that we see from time to time is also the perfect size and distance to cause tides. We're familiar with how it works. We know what it does. We perhaps haven't stopped to think about what it would be like without it. Waters would go stagnant and there would be perhaps an increase in disease because of the... Um, the accumulation of, of, of poor water on the edges of the oceans, but with the tides, that uh, problem is overcome. But it doesn't do it too hard. It, it doesn't overflow the earth when the tide comes in, except in extremely difficult um, conditions of weather. And even then, it goes back again, 
Um, um, by and large, it's doing the job properly um, to the right level. Leave that then and go to our heads. We, we, we've all got a brain. We don't actually perhaps focus on it too much. But think how much data that brain is processing day after day. Um, you, you all can cope with sights of colours, shapes and distances. Um, our heads and our brains work together, our eyes and, and, and our brains work together to actually achieve all sorts of things in, in this particular category. Um, the brain also tells you whether it's hot or cold. Um, today you're feeling quite warm. Very few of us have got jackets on, but in perhaps three months' time, it'll be very different. But you'll know, you, you'll feel it, and, and it'll be part of your brain working through the pores of your skin and other parts of your body. You can tell whether you're walking on soft ground or hard ground. You can tell whether it's sharp, um, whether you're on a a thin plank perhaps or whether you're on a broad paving stone you you know the difference through the pressure on your feet and up to your brain your brain works it all out and your ears can work out sounds high and low you can work out language i i i, I constantly am fascinated by the fact that the same brain in in nations around the world can cope with completely different sets of words and ideas um the same brain, no difficulty whatsoever. And there is high pitch and low pitch, and there is an ability to understand words. You know when you want to drink. Your brain sorts that out as well. Tells you if you're needing to lubricate your, your, yourself. But it goes on beyond that, doesn't it? It, it holds memories and thoughts and emotions. I, I, I don't think there's any other creature that seems to be able to do that that you can actually hold an emotion and remember it you, you, you can remember what you felt like when certain things happened and you, and you might have a, a trigger of some sort that takes you back to that point in time and, and, and brings it out again your brain's doing all of that it keeps track of your breathing keeps track of your eyelid movement it tells you when you're hungry and it goes on and on and on and it's able to reason and it's able to plan and take action. That organ in your head does all of those things. And most of the time, it does it without you even giving it a thought. It allows you to take all these actions and conduct your life without any real interruption whatsoever. And then there's this strange thing uniformity some of these things you might think are so obvious that why bother putting them in every day has 24 hours well that's part of what we talked about with the sun and the rotation of the earth isn't it a cup of coffee will always go cold you've perhaps not even stopped to think about that it never warms up um, something that's frozen might warm up but a cup of coffee will always go cold because it's hotter than the air around it, so it comes down in temperature. But it does that every time. It doesn't go the other way, ever. And gravity is consistent. If you've done anything at all of this in school, or can remember about it in school, you'll know what 32 feet per second squared is all about. And it doesn't change wherever you are on the Earth because it's the same Earth. If you went to the Moon, it's different. 
Um, but that's just the law of gravity. And the speed of light doesn't change. It, it would get us in a right mess if it did. Um, but it doesn't change at all. But look at this comment that comes from this, this Nobel, Peace, Nobel uh, Prize winner. Oh, he, he's a quantum man who said, Why nature is mathematical is a mystery. The fact that there are rules at all is a kind of miracle. It's not to us, is it? It's not strange at all that it's happening like this. That's how it was made. That's how it was put together. But uniformity is an argument for the existence of somebody who's given those laws, put them in place, and, and given them to make life on Earth bearable, enjoyable, and practical. And they all, all these things, the, the, the system of the Earth and the stars and the moon and all of that, the way our brains work and the way that uniformity is all around us, they all shout to us about design and, and planning and somebody's put it all in place. And the complexity of our planet points to a deliberate designer. He, he caused it to happen in the first place and keeps it going or has made it in such a way that it keeps itself going. Remember, when I consider the work of your fingers, when I look at what's going on around me, and my eyes are focusing in the right direction, and my mind is thinking about the right kind of things, then these things talk about God. All right, let's leave that side, that, that aspect on one side now then, and, and, and think about proof of a true God. What, what test would you give in order to actually say to anybody, prove that you are a God? Well, the Old Testament prophets did this. In, in Bible times, there was a big, big problem. Um, there were gods for all the nations. They, they all had a different one. And that caused all sorts of trouble for the people of Israel. Um, they were confronted with Dagon. They were confronted with Baal. Ashtaroth and, and the nations around them all brought their own particular flavour of which God should you worship and Israel of course had their God they called him Yahweh um, but he was their God and the other nations said no he's your God we've got our God and, and we're not going in, in, to interfere with each other but they did and the difference between the God of Israel and the God of all the other nations was that those gods could be seen. They're usually made of stone or metal or wood. Um, they were carved, they were cast, they were made out of anything that <coughs> came to hand. But the people who made them could obviously see them, that they were physical things that you could touch. And the rites and the means of sacrifice that went on were abominable to modern times they were abominable to many of the people of that time sacrificing of children in, in, in a fire to a god was something that was condemned all round by everybody but the god of Israel was different, he couldn't be seen which is the point of our talk but the prophets that go around Israel sorry, that weren't around at the times of Israel, were strong in their condemnation of these gods. They, they, they said they are, they are nonsense. Um, 
And they, they made all sorts of mockery about them. And we're going to have a look at some of this through Isaiah uh, as we come through to this point. But the challenge that was set by Isaiah was, can you tell the future? Can you actually predict what's going to happen and demonstrate that it has happened? Are you capable of doing that, Ashtaroth? Can you do that, Baal? Let's see. Let's put things to the test. Can we have our second reading, please? So we're going to read from Isaiah and chapter 41. Isaiah 41, starting at verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as though mortar as the potter treads clay. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know, and former times that we may say he is righteous? Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. So, did you note the points in that little reading that we had? The challenge to other gods. Bring, bring, bring evidence. Bring forth an example. Tell us of things that you did in time past and their latter end. How it worked out. Give us an example and show us how things can possibly be. That you predicted what would go on in the future. And of course he demisses them at the end as saying, you're absolutely nothing at all. Show us what will happen. Make a prophecy. Come on, tell us. Or, tell us former things and the letter. And that's the better way. You made a prediction. This is how it worked out. And this is how it happened. And it came true. Let's see if you truly are a God. Let's see if you are worth the name of being a God. And the prophet says, Deha, you're worse than nothing. You're absolutely useless. Because... You can't even speak, far less tell us what you've done in the past and what you will do in the future. But if you go into the next chapter, verse 8 and 9, reads, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass. New things do I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I can do it. I can show you these things. I can give you examples in the past when I predicted and things have come to pass. And I'm going to tell you new things. Things that are yet to be. Things that are coming in the future. 
And in the next chapter, he will bring Israel before them as his witnesses to the fact that things have happened like this. Verse 9 of chapter 43. Let all the nations be gathered together. Let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is truth. The, 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 the gods of those times would have had a priesthood of some sort who were quite powerful individuals in the nations in which they existed. Here it seems to be an appeal to them. Bring forth your witnesses to tell us what's gone on in the past. Let's see if you can actually put it together properly. And then he says in verse 10 of Israel, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Saviour. And he goes on in that vein for quite a long time. Israel are the witnesses to God. Witnesses that he exists. Witnesses that he has done things in the past. And the conduit through which he will actually pronounce for things in the future. I declared, I saved and I proclaimed that you are my witnesses that I am God. But you can't see me. You have never seen me. I, I came close to being revealed to you when I came down on the mountain at Sinai. I, I actually did give you evidence that I was there, but I, you never saw me. You, you never actually cast eyes upon me at all. And you cannot see me today. Israel is a living demonstration of the real God. Before the Isaiah's time, back in the earlier sections of our Bible, in the book of Exodus, they were lost in Egypt. They were downtrodden and made to work exceedingly hard. But God brought them out from there. And he predicted that he would do. He told a man called Abraham, who was the father of this nation, in 400 years, they're going to come out. They'll actually escape from this land of Egypt. And he documents it thoroughly that they did. And he shows them that this was really what he was all about. I'm going to take you to a land of promise. I, I promised it to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm going to do it. And he did do it. And he documented it. And he's left it for us to think about. So they were lost in Egypt, but he brought them out. But on the way, things went a bit wrong and they neglected him and he put them to the test and they nearly starved in the wilderness not really because he provided for them then when they got to that land they lost their way and things went wrong again and he sent judges one after another and there's a book full of them telling us how those stories went through he moved on again and they lost their way again and again and he sent kings and some of the kings were worse than anything else they'd had before and led them totally astray. But God brought them all through it. But eventually things went really wrong. And although we skipped a lot of time now, when we get to the New Testament we find it's the end of the patience of God for a while. 
He will scatter them. He will send them throughout the world. And he'll use the Romans to do that. And not only does the Bible hint at this and tell us about it. But it's well documented in history that this happened. But Jesus said it would happen. He predicted that it would happen. And told his disciples that it would happen. Not only did he say that, but he said they'll come back. There will come a time when they return to their land. And you and I, well most of us anyway, have lived in that period when it's happened. When a nation of Israel exists again on the maps of the world. And although it's causing much, much trouble and much, much debate in many parts of the world. They are there as a fulfilment of a prophecy that was made many, many, many centuries ago. It's all come to pass. So, this God of Israel is able to predict the future a long distance. And he's achieved it in the nation of Israel. For centuries, they did not have a presence at all in the land we now know as Israel. But they are there today. And Israel is one of the firmest and most clear footprints that God exists. That we can actually find in our world. Let's look at our third and final section then. And talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. When John opens his gospel record. He's only 18 verses in when he says nobody has seen God at any time. And and that's something that we've perhaps already this afternoon gathered is quite clear and quite certain but he then says the only begotten son i.e. Jesus Christ himself has declared him told about him revealed him and when you think about the life of the Lord Jesus and read the records you either say well this is fairy tale and fantasy or you say this man had the ability beyond any other man and you have to ask the question, where did he get it from? Think of what he did. Healing, that I've only picked out this one, sight to the blind. It wasn't something that took weeks and weeks as an improvement gradually took place. It was instant. It was a massive, quick recovery for anyone who was given back their sight. Likewise, for the cure to a paralysed man. One, one day, some friends couldn't get near Jesus because there were too many people around him. So they made a hole in the roof and let him down. And they didn't need to bring him back up again because he walked out the door. He had been cured from his paralysis. Withered limbs were restored. Even the dead were brought back to life. There are three categorised instances of this happening in the work of the Lord Jesus and the records are given to us in such a way that the people who were there at the time were convinced that the individuals were dead. But they walked out alive. He controlled storms and he fed thousands of people. And, and these are all things that men would like to do today, but they can't. They're still beyond the possibilities of anything that modern medicine, modern science can achieve. Nobody can control a storm, although attempts are made. Nobody can heal the blind, although massive advances have been made in helping with blindness. You can't do it the way that Jesus did it. And none of the other things are possible either. 
and nobody has ever raised the dead since the time of Jesus. The records come from many eyewitnesses. You have to be very, very resistant to these ideas to deny the evidence that comes from the records of these times. But how could they happen? Jesus said it was his father working through him that his father had given him this ability to do these things. An invisible God doing wonders for mankind through his son. John, right at the other end of his record, says, these things were written that you might believe. This is evidence. This is, this is telling you that you ought to take these things seriously. And that you ought not to neglect them. So what are you going to believe? Well first of all that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That was the first step that John was advancing. And wanted them to actually take on board. But notice the implication of that. Because you can't believe that Jesus is the son of God. If you haven't got a God. Who sent him. And who is his father. And John added a third thing. He said, the belief that you have in these things could give you life. It can overcome the problems of this time for you personally, if you will take on board these things. So, can we believe? Can we believe what Jesus did? He was sent to tell us of his father. And John again tells us, he who has seen me has seen the father. The words I speak to you, I do speak of my own authority. I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. I am the representative, if you like, of the way that my Father wants things to be. And I have come to reveal him. Later, the Apostle Paul would write these words to one of his good friends, Timothy. He said, God, who alone has immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. And the God that we're talking about is too pure to be seen by mortals like you and me, but appeals to us constantly and leaves his footprints in the ground so that we can see them. He knows that we can't approach him as we are now, but he wants us to believe that he's there. And he wants us to take on board that he's appealing to us all the time. Again, a letter towards the end of the, Old, of the New Testament tells us that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It, it's, it's the basis on which you do see in, in a different kind of way. And right in the middle of that, Hebrews 11 we're told again of Moses that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. M Moses had a, an amazing experience, more than one in fact, but at the burning bush, he, he saw and heard something that gave him a message from God. But Hebrews says, no, it wasn't really God. He was seeing something that was invisible and he perceived it in his mind. His faith was stronger than his eyesight. And he was able to build upon that and, and work in Egypt to bring out the people from there. 
And that chapter in Hebrews tells us all sorts of things about what these people did. They subdued kingdoms. They obtained huge promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel. They quenched the violence of fire. Daniel's three friends. Out of weakness were made strong. Well, you can find all sorts of examples of that. Women received their dead raised to life. And that's not just in the time of Jesus, but in the time of Elijah and Elisha, things happened like this. And all because they believed in a God who exists and does wonders. But they couldn't see him and had never seen him. And they are told, there will be a time of reward for you because of that faith you have. Now, do you believe that man landed on the moon? Everybody? Yes? You, you're happy with that idea? Footprints? Well, where's the, where's the evidence? Why, why should you believe that man landed on the moon? It's all in film footage, isn't it? There's no telescope been able to actually focus on the men that were up there. And there is a, a point of view that says that it was all made up in, um, in a film studio down in Bora Wood um, and that people don't believe it at all. And, and I was giving this talk in Stirling and I was told afterwards by a particular individual who you all know um, that they don't believe that man went to the moon at all. Um, so it's, it's open to question. And, and the evidence here is a bit tiny. Um, th there's a lot of publicity and a lot of film but nothing else really beyond that. But you make your own mind up. So are we going to believe? Are we, are we actually going to take on board this belief or not? Think of the evidence we've looked at. We believe in the snow leopard because his tracks are there and because of film footage. We believe man went to the moon. Well, maybe. Um, the, there's abundant evidence to support a belief in the God of heaven and earth. In fact, it's more than the evidence for the snow leopard or the moon. It's vastly more. It, it stretches over a whole series of topics and ideas and concepts. I've only looked at three in detail this afternoon but the evidence is there whether you believe it or not is up to you but you can have that belief if you just take on board the evidence that is all around you thank you